Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast. We're here with a bonus episode for World Bipolar Day. So this is a day that happens every March 30th and it's all about raising awareness of bipolar disorders and eliminating the social stigma that often surrounds the condition. And it's about educating and improving sensitivity towards the illness. If you're wanting to find out more about bipolar, rethink mental illness, have some information about World Bipolar Day on their website and you can find out more about the symptoms and the impact they can have and share stories. They have a very helpful bipolar disorder fact sheet that you can download. It has an overview about the different types and the symptoms of both depression, mania, psychosis that can also be associated. And in this episode, we're joined by Sherry, who has bipolar one. And so she talks about her experiences with it from the, the long journey it took to getting diagnosis, the impact of that diagnosis, then the journey towards finding the correct medication that would help her to, to live a, uh, a normal life in, in the way that we would class a normal life, I guess. So I hope you really enjoy this, this conversation. Sherry gets very personal about her experiences and she's really passionate about ending the stigma. So I really wanted to get this episode out today as a bonus one because it it just fits perfectly with the awareness day and hopefully this will go some way to raising awareness and ending the stigma. So if you're in the UK um, and you think that you might have bipolar disorder if, if what Sherry's saying is really resonating with you, then the first step is to speak to your GP, which at the moment might be a bit tricky. So it could be telephone consultation But it's really helpful to have a record of moods because one of the things with bipolar is that swing of moods between mania and depression. So having a mood diary, uh, keeping a mood scale and Bipolar UK have both of those resources on their website that you can use. And that will help the GP to see the the pattern of, of your moods. But your GP can't actually diagnose it. It would be a referral on to a psychiatrist as part of the community mental health team. So that's the kind of process which we're not going to get into too much. But again, there's lots of information online. Rethink mental illness, like I said, Bipolar UK. So obviously Sherry is joining us from the US, but for any of our UK listeners, Bipolar UK is a charity that is focused on empowering everyone affected by bipolar to live well and fulfill their potential. And they have some specific advice around coronavirus at the moment for for people that are also bipolar. They have stories, uh, they have information about how they help people, what they do. Also, if you are bipolar and you want to share your story, 
then there is a section on the website where you can share your story with them, information about getting help. Or if you were really touched by this and you want to help and you want to volunteer, then there's uh, information for that as well. As it is World Bipolar Day, we would love it if you would share your thoughts on this episode, uh, help us also raise awareness and fight the stigma around bipolar disorder. So the hashtags that are being used are hashtag World Bipolar Day, and hashtag bipolar strong and then also you can tag on twitter at intl bipolar and international bipolar foundation on facebook and we'll put the links to those in the show notes uh, it would be great if you were also joined in sharing awareness sharing this episode so that it reaches more people and sharing your own story if you feel pulled to do so we'll also include links in the show notes as we usually do to our guest sherry and to her blog so that you can follow and you can read more about her experiences with bipolar and get some more information insight from there so i really hope you enjoyed this episode i really enjoyed chatting to sherry and delving a bit more into another mental illness condition that isn't spoken about as much and that i, that I think there is still a lot of misconceptions around and, and stigma around and one of the big things on this podcast is about us breaking down some of that stigma, about giving people an opportunity to share their stories because there can be something really powerful in coming to terms with our story and understanding our own mental world and, and what's going on. And, and I think that's something that does come up in this episode about the impact of that and un- understanding what's going on in your own head. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you join us after the interview, um, and I'm going to read a little extract from the book An Unquiet Mind that Sherry refers to, which is a fantastic book, which I absolutely would recommend if you are wanting to find out more about bipolar and hear more personal stories. And there's also, if you are more a visual person rather than reading, then there are quite a few TED Talks around bipolar and removing the stigma destigmatizing bipolar understanding bipolar so i just popped in ted bipolar in youtube and already i've got quite a few episodes coming up some with living with bipolar type 2 sherry has bipolar type 1 and she talks a little bit about the the differences but at the end of this interview I'll, I'll go over those briefly as well there's a story rodrigo rangel talking about having a manic episode quitting his job creativity and bipolar basically people seeing it as a gift so pop bipolar and ted into youtube and you come up with um, a whole page of uh, of talks about it so there there is a wealth of information around to find out more and and hopefully this episode will also be useful and um, informational. Um, So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again to Sherry for joining me and I will check back in with you afterwards just to share a bit more information and another little bit of a story about bipolar. Hi everyone and I'm really excited to welcome this week's guest Sherry to the podcast. So Sherry, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, Hannah, it's good to be with you this morning. And um, my name again is Sherry Martinez. I am a writer. I suffer from bipolar one. Actually, I was a rapid cycling bipolar. But um, for more than 25 years, I had a very successful career in nonprofit public relations. And unfortunately, I bipolar actually cost me um, that career as well as um, uh, many other things in my life, but 
today I'm a very happy person. Um, I love to camp, whitewater raft, um, and because of the journey I've been through, I'm able to do those things again today. So I'm really glad to be here, and I, I hope I can maybe help someone with the experiences I've had. Amazing, and bipolar is something that we've not really talked about on the podcast in detail before, and And obviously, I'm really keen to share a wide variety of mental health experiences so that people are listening to this that have bipolar or know someone who is bipolar or just are interested in finding out more about different experiences that hopefully they can get something from the podcast. Um, And so you said that you have bipolar one. Could you talk a little bit about the different types of bipolar? Yes. um, Well, um, bipolar one is uh, a very serious uh, manifestation of the disorder. It, um, it's actually, a lot of people don't realize, it's a ge- genetically transmitted abnormality that causes, you know, problems with the brain's chemistry and how you regulate emotions. It's manifested by um, severe depression and then um, at some, at one end of the spectrum, and incredible euphoria, which can escalate into a, a very dangerous state. Um, these are uh, bipolar two do not experience these symptoms in uh, with the severity that a bipolar one was. I, I also happen to be a rapid cycling bipolar, which means that um, they say if you have four phases during a year, you're rapid cycling. But in my case, I, I was so severe that I would be at the very depth of a very dark depression and slowly as I would come out, it'd be about two weeks, I slowly come out of it. I might have, you know, one or two days of levelness and then I would begin to escalate. Now mania, one of the problems with it is it is so euphoric that you begin to go through, you know, the escalation. But um, as it begins to manifest itself, you know, you're unable, your thoughts are going so fast, you cannot control them. You're just, you know, going 90 miles an hour. You think you can do anything. Um, You have grandiose thoughts. And at the very end of it, it can become very, you can become very self-destructive. So bipolar one tends to, it tends to be much more serious than bipolar two. However, anti any mental illness is a difficult thing. One in three individuals have some type of mental disorder. So, you know, if you're sitting around a table, you know, look around. And um, one of the things that bothers me the most, Hannah, is there's still so much stigma related to mental illness. And uh, one of the things with bipolar is it's very, very difficult to diagnose. People will go, well, I, I went 50 years before I was diagnosed correctly. I've been misdiagnosed for a large part of my life as a depressed, clinically depressed. I was hospitalized for that time and time again. But, you know, the fact that it, it does go um, misdiagnosed, I think, impacts um, the rates of suicide. The sad thing is that um, one in five individuals with bipolar does succeed in ending their life. And that's a really sad statistic. But there is help. I mean, and actually, they um, statistics show that it tends to manifest itself in the early 20s usually, but it can, it can begin in early childhood. It can be um, 
impacted by childhood trauma, which I unfortunately suffered. But I didn't remember, I don't remember anything about it until I was 13. When I was 13, I guess the age of puberty, I began to have severe depression. I really didn't know what it was. You know, I was I was a you know, preteen or a teenager, and um, I just know I started going through these very, very low bouts where, you know, I was almost incapacitated. But it wasn't all the time. And so, you know, this went on until, until when I was 15. Uh, the depression grew so great that I began to hurt myself. And I first, I first began with cutting and, and then it escalated to suicide, a suicidal ideation and actually attempted suicide on quite a few occasions. When I was 20, after three attempts very close together, I, I was taken to the same emergency room and the same doctor treated me and he told me, he said, if I see you in here one more time, I'm going to have you committed. And he did. But I was still misdiagnosed. That's the issue. Here I was in a, it was actually a mental ward back then, you know, very stigmatic. But um, my psychiatrist just said I was clinically depressed. So I was there for, t for um, over two months, you know, receiving treatment. But I left there not knowing that I still had a, I guess, a, a monster within me. Mm. Thank you for sharing that and, and it, is, it is, like you said, very shocking, isn't it, the, the statistics because it's such a high proportion but I think when, when you're speaking there about your experience of what sounds like a really challenging time for you and I suppose not really knowing the reason why. Exactly. I wonder whether you felt when you're being told you're depressed, did you feel that that didn't really completely match what you were experiencing or... At the time, did you kind of think, okay, that's Yeah, at the time, that's what I thought, Hannah. I thought that, um, well, this is depression. And, you know, at the time, you focus on, because you feel so, so unbearably miserable. It's such a black hole when you fall into the depths of it, which I know many people out there know, that you may not really realize that you're having the highs on the other side of it. And as I said, it exacerbates as you age. And my, mine really blew, I guess, got into full bloom in my late 40s. But yes, you know, I just thought it was, that's what I thought. I kept thinking it was um, depression. And I was also diagnosed with panic disorder and much anxiety, you know, iso in depression, much isolation. I would cut myself off from the world. But after I got out of the, the hospital, I, I must have been in a manic mood <laughs> because I realized I had to change my life. I had to do something with my life. So, um, you know, I said I sort of rose like the phoenix. I went back to school. I graduated with honors. I um, started a, a career with a Fortune 500 company making very good money and for, like I said, um, close to 30 years, I, I had a very successful career, but I was still having bouts of the depression was the only thing I really noticed was the depression. And I was very good at concealing it from others, especially as, as I got into nonprofit management. It was challenging, but I was able to disguise it and still perform very successfully. It wasn't until in my 40s, um, 
things begin to change. I find myself, I was highly productive, a multitasker, but all of a sudden I'd be sitting at my desk and I would be looking at everything and I'd be so overwhelmed and my mind would be racing so fast that I didn't get anything done and I just want to scream. And it continued to get worse to the point I, I could not perform my job. It was terrible. And um same time I began to drink heavily to numb myself. And so I began to think, well, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. That's what it is. So um, I quit drinking and, you know, went to AA meetings. And I was referred to one doctor. And I had been in his office about 10 minutes. He'd been talking with me. And he said, I've never been tested for bipolar. And I said, no. I said, my diagnosis has always been clinical depression. Well, there's a... Um, there's not a blood test for finding out that bipolar. And, you know, it's part of the problem. People go so long without really knowing what they have, just knowing that they're going through a lot of bad things. But um, it's a behavioral thing. And we went through it and he says, he says, you're definitely bipolar. And, you know, also, there's a lot to diagnosing it. I mean, your history is real critical. But then an inventory of some of your behaviors really helps make the diagnosis. And I wonder, when you saw him, were you more in a, a depressive episode or, or manic? I was manic. I was very manic <laughs> because I was talking, talking very fast. My leg was bouncing up and down. I was, you know, bouncing around with different thoughts, digressing. And, you know, so, yes, I was very manic. <laughs> Because I just ask because I remember talking to my GP at a time when I was trying to figure out my own mental health and, and what was going on. And we had a discussion about bipolar and, and never bipolar one. But and and what he'd said was that they would have to see someone in a manic episode to really be able to say exactly that that's what it is as opposed to to something else. So that was just why I was. I was wondering, so how um, how old were you when, when you had this diagnosis and how long ago, if you don't mind me asking? Well, it's been uh, 15 years. I was 50, but it had, it had really begun to impact my life um, in probably my mid-40s. That's when I began to notice something wasn't right. I wasn't as quick as I was. I was having more of the episodes of, again, I was still focused on the depression. But fortunately, you know, I was was finally diagnosed. And uh, but unfortunately, it, bipolar can be very um, difficult to, to treat to find the right combination of meds and things like that. So it took a, another six years before I was finally finally hit. My doctors finally hit upon the right combination of medications to allow me to begin to really live again. I mean, to to live a, a life and be productive and and be on a positive level. So I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, it, it saved my life. <laughs> mm, I'm, I'm so glad that you've got to this point where you, you know, you are on that level. Yeah, I have a couple of questions, if that's okay. Sure. And I think, um, thank you for sharing about the time it took to find the right medication combination, because I think sometimes people don't appreciate that even if you have figured out with with your doctor what is going on it's not as simple as just take this and it will be all sorted it's, we're all individuals individual chemistry so thank you for sharing 
that. But getting the actual diagnosis and someone saying, this is what it is. How did that feel for you to finally have someone, you know, be able to really tell you what was going on? Oh, Hannah, it was, it was such a relief. I mean, you know, not knowing what was, knowing something was wrong, but not knowing what it was, you know, watching my life crumble and um, just devastation. So when I heard the diagnosis, no matter how bad it was, at least, you know, it's like anything, Hannah. Once you know what you're dealing with, then you can begin to take the action that you need to to um, get back to where you need to be. So, yeah, I was happy. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that for the moment, you know, but then I still continued to, to go through the cycles. And there was a lot of frustration and still... Um, it went on so long. I, I told my doctor um, after there had been three or four years, I said, you know, this is not living. This is not living. Again, I was a rapid cycler. I had very few periods of levelness, you know, being, you have your feet on the ground. And, uh, you know, I became very suicidal again. And I will say my last attempt, I, I, I almost died. They did have to resuscitate me. And uh, I learned that night that I wanted to live and I never have gone that path again. And my healing, they found the right combination of meds. And there's a lot more to it than just the meds. Those of us with bipolar, we have a responsibility to educate ourselves, to know as much as we can, to recognize triggers, things that might set us off. Um, are we not sleeping? Are we talking too much? Um, are we taking, are we showing any risky behavior? Or have we totally withdrawn from the world and isolated ourselves? So, you know, we have a responsibility. Take your meds, <laughs> you know, recognize the symptoms, reach out. But it is very possible to, you know, have a good life and to just by following some guidelines and some of your personal goals and things, you can have a good life. You can have a good life. Thank you for sharing that. It's, I would imagine that going through that and then even finding out what it is, but then still having that long journey to get to that point must have been so challenging. And um, But to now be at this point where you can share with people who are maybe going through that, that there is hope and that you can get to a point where, like you said, you have a life. Just thank you so much for, for sharing the message. Absolutely. I, I doubt I would have been able to write um, the book I just completed, which is a true crime chronicle called Wood Awakening, just a quick little blurb there. But um, I doubt I would have been able to complete that had I not finally reached solid ground again. Mm -hmm. um, here's an aspect I'll just mention briefly. Um, there is, uh, for several years, I tried to keep it in the, in the closet. I didn't want people to know because the people we found out it did step back and slip, slip away. I mean, I lost many, many friends during those early phases of it. And, you know, the stigma and discrimination, you know, causes many good people to go without help. You know, discrimination, stigma, isolation, you know, they're denied their ability to fully participate in society. And right now, you know, I'm a vocal advocate working against that as much as I can. Mm. And have you seen a change 
from the time that you um, received your diagnosis to now in that level of stigma and discrimination? Unfortunately, you know, despite the many efforts to educate the public, uh, you know, stigma still exists. And one place that, that bothers me is in the media. I mean, so many shows, uh, I mean, it's really ridiculous. Like one show said something like, well, you know about her, she's on that, that mental medication. Or, um, oh my God, she was bipolar and she killed her husband. I heard something funny after I heard that last thing. It said, you know, what if somebody said, oh my God, she's diabetic and she killed her husband. I mean, and, and bipolar is like uh, any of the... Um, you know, lifelong illnesses, the, the diabetes, epilepsy, bipolar. I mean, they they don't ever totally recover, but you learn to manage it throughout your life so that you can have a full and very rewarding life. And that's what I'm living right now. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot is, well, misconceptions about mental illnesses. Very much so. But I think also a lot is fear of the unknown. And I think... There's also a lot about if something is wrong with a physical part of the body, it almost is okay or more okay in society to say, oh yeah, I've got an issue with this this part of my body. But if it's the brain that has an issue, it's it's like we almost hold people responsible in some way. Exactly. But it's just a part of the body in the same way as like your heart or your liver or, or whatever. And yes, you can... You know, look after it and like you said with the, the awareness and that kind of thing but it's still something that's not under conscious control that can go wrong no I, I cannot help it or I cannot help it that I'm a rapid cycling bipolar one um, but I can help how I manage that the, one thing that I noticed um, a lot of people would say it's like just snap out of it you know <laughs> And you don't snap out of uh, bipolar depression or bipolar mania. And you say you have bipolar as well? Well, I uh, don't know what I have. <laughs> I definitely, uh, <laughs> so I definitely have. Dealing with some challenges. Yeah, I definitely have periods of mm -hmm. depression. Um, yeah. But I suppose luckily um, I'm kind of a more high functioning depressive person. Yeah. Um, I have periods. I used to be. <laughs> yeah, luckily, <laughs> I have periods of anxiety and, and social anxiety and that kind of thing. And I, I, the reason I spoke to Doctor about bipolar is I just sort of noticed a little bit that when I wasn't depressed and I kind of thought I was okay, actually, some of the behaviours maybe were a little bit too like risk taking or mm -hmm. um, to the extreme, but. Um, so, so I don't know really, but I'm just, you know, trying to just, like you said, be aware of my own stuff and try and. Very much so. I understand that. Good luck with that. You'll get there. <laughs> Thanks. I think um, actually, I mean, having conversations like this is is really helpful because I think when you hear someone else's story, and I don't know, I think there's just something about it that it's is reassuring even if it is different to you know to your own story it's absolutely even though who knows i may or may not have you know definitely not bipolar one but the strategies that that you use and, and that checking in whatever mental illness you have is applicable isn't it to be aware of yourself and look after yourself so you finish your your true crime book and you're yeah. writing um another book as well so could you tell us a bit about this 
Yes, I am. I am um, actually, well, it took me six years to write the true crime, but this one is going very quickly. Um, partly because I have maintained a blog since 2007. And although during the book writing of the other one, um, it's, I sort of, you know, neglected it. But yes, I am writing a memoir about my experiences, um, with, um, with the disorder, um, how it almost caught me my life and how I was able to finally land on solid ground again and have a productive life, a happy life. And, you know, I occasionally, I occasionally, I will know I'm starting to go into mania and I'm responsible for doing, you know, what I need to do. I need to take my meds. I need to get sleep. I need to call my doctor if it does, if it seems, seems to continue to escalate. As I said earlier, it's, it's essential to know your triggers and we just have a big responsibility in managing it. Um, you need a support network. And you have to be ground rules. I mean, if they, if you withdraw, um, and they haven't seen you in a couple of days, they, then there needs to be agreement between you and them that they come over, and you know, just things like that. Um, but the book goes into, you know, it's very it goes very deep into my private experience with it and how I made that journey, long journey, to where I am today, and hopefully it will help someone. If you're very interested in in the bipolar, I do have a blog, which is um, livingbipolardisorder.blogspot.com. I would also recommend an excellent book by Kay Redfield Jameson. It's called An Unquiet Mind. It is excellent. And there are a multitude of resources available to find out information. If you think you are going through something and it might be bipolar, go through. You can go online and look at the the behaviors that are associated with it. Um, it's just you know I, I do believe we have to if we're suffering like you are. You said you were searching. You know we, it's our we have to we have to do what we can to you know really find out what we've got, what we need to do, and just, you know, how to move on positively in our lives. Mm. And how did you find the process of writing, um, I guess, the blog and, and the book now? Did you find it therapeutic to go over your story and write about it, or was it quite challenging to bring up everything? No, it, it was very cathartic um, to begin the writing. And, you know, I, I, I cover... Some of it is uh, very essay oriented about a particular experience, like you know, mania comes to call, um, and some of it is uh, helpful information, like um, medications, um, how to talk to your doctor. Uh, I will mention this about medications, Hannah. Know what the side effects are when your doctor prescribes something. I um, almost died twice due to reactions of several medications. But anyway, the book is very personal. It um, talks about the very specific experiences I have. And I, I'm real pleased with the way it's going. I, I really, it's going to take a lot of work, but I'd really like to have it done by May, which is Mental Health Month. <laughs> I just 
think that would be a good time to release it. So we'll see. Oh, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that. But a lot of respect for the uh, the writing process. So I think it's, there's that idea, isn't it, that everyone has a book in them. Everyone has that idea of, oh, I'd love to write a book. But Absolutely. Actually doing it is a different thing, <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I've been, a, I've been a prolific writer since childhood. And in my career, I wrote everything, you know, the annual reports. I mean, but then I began to have time to do my own writing. And I, I love it. I love it. It's exciting. And it's, you know, I like weaving words. And when you have a subject matter like this, my life with bipolar, my struggle with it and my, you know, success with it, um, it really means a lot to be able to put that down. And if I help one or two people with it, I will have done something good. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm sure from this podcast that you'll help people as well who are listening to this and maybe I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Maybe recognizing um something from what you're saying in their own experience or even just that idea of looking after themselves in the way that, that you would if you had like diabetes, like you said is the the example. You would take your meds. Exactly. You you might be frustrated that you have it and I think that's that's fine to be pissed off, but yeah, <laughs> you, you know, I'm frustrated about it. But you look after yourself and you take your meds, and yeah, just because it's something to do with the mind, it's still that looking after your health. Very much so. Yeah. So I have some questions that I um, ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So it'd be great to um to get your your answers to these. Okay. So the first one is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy. Well. Um, there, there are a lot of, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, uh, whitewater rafting is just the most thrilling thing. Um, I love to camp. I love to dig in the dirt. But the thing that really gives me the most um, joy is when I can positively give to another person. And, um, you know, altruistically, um, that really does. Um, I try... I try to be very positive with other people and whenever someone is in need, I having been through being in need myself, um, it means the world to me when I can help them and know that I've done something for them. I mean, it's a private, you know, internal joy, but that really means a lot. One of my friends told me, you're generous to a fault. And I said, well, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. So there's uh a quote um, from I think the Dalai Lama that um, actually last week's podcast was I talked about kindness that I used and it's this idea is um, actually it's being selfishly altruistic because if you feel really good from doing it it's almost you're doing it for other people but you get that buzz from doing it as well oh yeah it, it is a simple satisfaction yes it is and to do to produce something like um, when I've written something that I'm very proud of, it gives me um, a sense of joy, you know, that I'm able to channel feelings into words that hopefully evoke emotions in other people. My next question for you is what makes life meaningful for you? Hmm. <laughs> well, being productive, I mean, that's very important to me. Um, my family, having a solid base, family, um, the relationships I have with them, you know, solid intellectual relationships with people who stimulate you, who inspire you to go, you know, higher, learn more. Knowing now that things have changed because at, at one point in my life, my life was meaningless. 
So now I am able to, you know, see the meaningful moments in my life. You know, being a good person. I, I know that sounds, you know, trite or uh, I don't know, but um, you know, being a good person and being productive and you know, not letting life just pass me by. Being ready to jump right in and accomplish things, do things, um, that kind of thing. Hmm. And I think, um, actually, I don't think it sounds trite at all. And actually, it's the kind of thing that comes up so often when I ask this question to people, that idea about um, helping people and, and service and, and that kind of thing. It comes up so often. <laughs> so, so my next question, and I guess we've touched on this a little bit in our conversation already um but on the podcast obviously we we talk about mental health experiences and as you said one in three people will experience some kind of mental illness but we all have our own mental world and we would all benefit from looking after ourselves mentally so my question is what does mental wellness mean to you and how do you look after your own mental well-being well um mental health um well-being i guess is being able to handle the the different um, emotions that i experience being able to deal with them and manage them and to be high functioning again you know which i was unable to do when i was encumbered by you know the extremes of the illness uh just um again being able to handle the things that life throws with you that we all have to deal with but to deal with them in a positive and um, a way that that handles it appropriately and how do I my own well-being again you know I, I accept the responsibility I have I have to take my meds I have to know my triggers I have to know if I'm slipping into if I'm letting either the mania or the depression creep in. I have to learn how to, I have to know how to reach out. I have to, you know, I have to be active, good exercise. You know, your diet's very important. There's a lot that goes into mental well-being, well-being that, you know, you might not think. Like I said, and with bipolars, even light is a source of a certain amount of light helps elevate mood. And so, and writing, the writing helps. It sort of takes, sometimes takes the poison or the, the sorrow out and, and they can put it down on a paper and look at it and it's no longer inside of me. So, so those are some of the things. Hmm. So there are a couple of my buzzwords I talk about a lot on the podcast and my other one is mindset. So could you describe your own mindset or your own outlook on life or approach to life however you want to conceptualize it well i'm i always i always was before the illness really exacerbated and i'm even more so now that my life is under control and i'm very positive i you know try to look at things and assess the positive aspects of it i don't know that's sort of tough to say um i i know uh, i i believe in myself today um, I spent years hating myself, things that stemmed from my childhood, which I mentioned early in the broadcast. But, you know, self-talk can be very critical. And for years, I, I felt I hated myself. I felt like I was no good. I was worthless. And I learned along the way in this recovery part, well, not really recovery, but learning to manage, that it is, uh, it's okay 
to acknowledge your talents and abilities and to pursue them with passion. And I guess that's, you know, I, I don't know, is that my mindset, Hannah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, <laughs> definitely comes under that. And I, and I think that, I mean, I can definitely relate from my own experience to that idea of self-hatred and that. Oh, God. And I think it's terrible. That, that is, I think that's so common as well, but that we don't also talk about that because I guess we don't want to admit to people, do we, that we think we're, I don't know, awful or rubbish or, or whatever worthless yeah um but i think it's no good yeah something that probably a lot of us have and really struggle with the view of ourselves and, and the self-criticism and 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 all of that so it's it's really good to hear that you're in a better place in terms of how you feel about yourself in that way oh yeah and it's okay <laughs> uh so um i i always ask guests if they can leave the listeners with between one and three strategies that they can put in place in their life that are going to have a, um, a massive impact. So what are your one to three tips that you would share with people or things that you would suggest they do? Overall or um, from a bipolar standpoint? Either one. Well, you know, I really think, I think go back to your mindset. I mean, I think, you know, I've heard it said, um, when you get up in the morning, you decide what your day is going to be like. What's your attitude? Are you positive or, oh, no, another day at work? Look for the positives and live with passion. Find things that do make you passionate and pursue them. And don't give up. I mean, you know, keep trying. You're going to get there eventually. Uh, from a standpoint of being bipolar, um, uh, you know, okay, take your meds, know your symptoms and triggers, be able to reach out and realize your own responsibility um, because in the long run, those are the things that are going to keep you alive and bring you back to happiness. Brilliant. Thank you for those. And then the last thing, if people want to connect with you online, um, so I know that you gave uh, your blog address earlier and we'll leave link to that in the show notes as well so people can find it from there are you on any other social media if you want to connect with you yes i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i um i'm not sure i should give up my email address <laughs> <laughs> no but we can we can link to your your twitter and your um your facebook as well if you'd like and i welcome i absolutely uh, and you can also communicate me through through my blog but um and I encourage anyone who would like to talk with me about this more. I am more than happy to to talk with you. And no matter what phase you're in, I really would be glad to talk with you. And maybe maybe I would have something to share that might actually help someone. And that would be that would be something I would like to do. Mm, very generous of you. <laughs> To a fault. Um, but, um, I wish I'd. I wish I'd had somebody to talk to to you know maybe help me you know help me um, understand what I was going through. I think also there is something really powerful in one just be a, being able to talk and having someone listen. But I suppose especially if that person who's listening has that experience as well. So, exactly. So even if they they're not really giving you advice or you know they can't solve it for you that you know that they have been there. It's reassuring and comforting, I guess. I mean, it, it's comforting that you're not alone, that it's not something that has just come down from the heavens and struck you. So. 
but yes, I, I, I would, you know, enjoy the, the opportunity to talk with other people because I'm interested in their experience as well. And especially writing the book, you know, I feel like that, that might be an important part is to talk about other people's experiences because it can, can manifest itself in, you know, different ways. I mean, your experience might be different than my experience and so on. Yeah. And we talked briefly about the, the different types and also with the cycling. Uh, and your experience is rapid cycling, but someone might have a very different cycle to to their bipolar. Right. But thank you so much, Sherry, for, for coming on and for sharing your experiences. And I've really enjoyed the discussion that we've had, and I think it'll be so useful for listeners to hear. So thank you so much. Well, Hannah, thank you. Um, it's been a great opportunity to talk about this with you, and I, I hope it does help someone out there. And uh, I wish you the very best. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you again to Sherry for joining us and for really getting personal and sharing details of her story. And I just wanted to share some information about bipolar if listening to this has resonated with you. So there are different types. So bipolar one, again, is the type that Sherry has and that she talked about and a diagnosis of this means that you'll have had at least one episode of mania lasting longer than a week 90 percent of people also have periods of depression manic episodes will generally last three to six months if left untreated depressive six to 12 months without treatment just to shout out this is uh, information from rethink mental illness who I would, um, one of the websites I'd recommend if you wanted information about mental illness generally, rethink mental illness, mind, the Mental Health Foundation, and also Time to Talk, Time to Change. It's one I've spoken about before and that that campaign. So bipolar 2 means it's common to have symptoms of depression, at least one period of major depression, and at least one period of hypomania instead of mania. And so hypomania is basically a milder form of mania. Bipolar 2 is, I guess, less extreme than bipolar 1, but some people have a mixture. They might have bipolar 1 or 2 with mixed features, and this means that they might experience symptoms of mania or hypomania and depression at the same time. And if you've ever heard the phrase mixed bipolar state, this is what it refers to. And someone experiencing that might feel the kind of sad hopelessness that is associated with depression, as well as being very restless and overactive, so so traits associated with the mania. You can also have rapid cycling bipolar 1 or 2, and this is what Sherry was describing. And this means having four or more depressive, manic or hypermanic episodes in a 12-month period. You can also have bipolar 1 or 2 with a seasonal pattern. So it might be that in winter people have more depressive episodes and, yeah, just affected in some way by the seasons. And, and this links to the importance of having that mood tracker to, to actually recognise the pattern in your mood. And that's something that um, I would recommend for for anyone, uh, whether you have bipolar, a different mental illness, or generally, I think, having that awareness, as Sherry and I talked about, and, and that responsibility for, for your own mood and your own mental health is um, a really beneficial thing to do. And uh, the last one that Rethink Mental Illness talk about is cyclothemia. Um, hope you're saying that right. <laughs> that right. Cyclothemic disorder means that you've experienced regular episodes of hypermania and depression for at least two years, but you wouldn't receive a diagnosis of bipolar 
because the symptoms are milder but can last longer. And this is something that could develop into bipolar disorder. So again, that tracking of moods could be really important to see, you know, and if you had cyclothemia, it could develop further into bipolar. So, so keeping that kind of track and that awareness of your symptoms. So I'm going to talk just briefly about the symptoms uh, because we're talking about mania and depression and you might be listening and thinking, what does that mean? So symptoms of mania can include feeling happy or excited, even if things aren't going well, full of new exciting ideas, moving quickly from one idea to another. It could be hearing voices that people can't normally hear, being more irritable, talking very quickly, jumping around ideas, racing thoughts, easily distracted, not able to sleep or feeling you don't want to sleep, thinking more than you Uh, You can do more than you actually can. Making unusual big decisions without thinking them through or doing things that you normally wouldn't that could cause problems. So these could be kind of risk-taking behaviours like spending lots of money, having casual sex, using drugs or alcohol, gambling, making unwise business decisions, all that kind of stuff. Hypomania is a, a milder form of that. And then depression will include things like low mood, less energy, feeling tired, feeling hopeless, guilty, worthless, less interested in things that you normally enjoy. You might have difficulty concentrating, making decisions, feeling restless and irritable, sleeping too much or not being able to sleep, changes in appetite, more or less hungry, losing or gaining weight. And you might have thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts. And that's something that Sherry has discussed from her own experience. And then lastly, psychosis is something that that can happen during severe episodes of mania or depression and psychosis would uh, the symptoms are hallucinations and hallucinations can be visual so seeing things aren't there auditory so hearing things aren't there they could be tactile so feeling things aren't there so basically experiencing things through your senses that aren't actually there And then also delusions, so believing things that are not true. And other people usually feel, find these beliefs to be unusual. So, for example, uh, someone in a manic episode might believe they have special powers, they're being monitored by the government, that kind of stuff. Uh, And a depressive episode might be feeling guilty about something that you think you've done, but that you haven't. So that's the, the kind of types and the symptoms. And then in terms of getting help, we've talked about initially contacting your GP. And then in terms of, of treatment, this is something that would be discussed with a health practitioner, but it would be some kind of mood stabiliser to manage those symptoms. So that could be lithium, it could be certain types of antipsychotics or benzodiazepines, but that is something that, as Sherry said, it, it was a long process for her and it's it's not necessary that straightforward to find a medication that works for you because we all have our own internal chemistry, our own internal brain chemistry. So something that, that works for one person doesn't necessarily work in the same way for another. It's a lot of information, um, but hopefully that's also useful. One of the things on the podcast is... You know, our whole mission is about informing, inspiring and empowering people. So hopefully we've given you a lot of information today, hopefully inspired through Sherry's personal story of going through a a challenging time, learning to understand what is going on uh, with her mental health. But getting to this this place now where where she's in a good place, she has that stability in her life um, and can lead 
uh, a well and fulfilled life. So hopefully that offers some inspiration to people who are listening. And hopefully we've given you some practical strategies that everyone can put in place in their life that will be beneficial. So I hope that has been useful. I'm going to read a brief extract now from the book An Unquiet Mind. So Sherry mentioned the book An Unquiet Mind, a memoir of moods and madness by Kay Redfield Jameson. And it's an amazing book. I've read it. I would absolutely recommend it. And I want to just read an extract from it, which I think really kind of sums up very poetically, I think, the uh, highs and lows of bipolar and also that impact of getting to know yourself and being more familiar with your own mental fluctuations, I guess. So Kay writes, therefore, I now move more easily with the fluctuating tides of energy, ideas and enthusiasms that I remain so subject to. My mind still now and again becomes a carnival of lights, laughter and sounds and possibilities. The laughter and exuberance and ease will, filling me, spill out and over and into others. These glinting, glorious moments will last for a while, a short season, and then move on. My high moods and hopes, having ridden briefly in the top car of the Ferris wheel, will, as suddenly as they came, plummet into a black and grey and tired heap. Time will pass, these moods will pass, and I will eventually be myself again. But then, at some unknown time, the electrifying carnival will come back into my mind. These comings and goings, this grace and godlessness, have become such a part of my life that the wild colours and sounds now have become less strange and less strong, and the blacks and greys that inevitably follow are likewise less dark and frightening. Beneath those stars, Melville once said, is the universe of gliding monsters, With time, one has encountered many of the monsters, and one is increasingly less terrified of those still to be met. So, yeah, we've got that high and low, and then this idea that there are these monsters. We all have these monsters, but over time, we have encountered many monsters, and we're then less afraid of the new ones to meet, because we've got that familiarity. We know them we know that we can handle them that we can deal with them so that realizing or getting to know your own fluctuations your own mental state if you like whether it's a well state or a less well you know a a state where you're experiencing some kind of mental illness getting to know it so that it's more familiar and through that knowing your own triggers like sherry said it becomes more manageable and taking responsibility for that. So we'll definitely put the the name of the book in the show notes, but I would absolutely recommend An Unquiet Mind to read. Uh, If you want to find out more about bipolar and someone's experience, or just generally, I'd recommend it because it is uh, an amazing book um, and and really powerful. I think it's just so interesting. I personally find it so interesting to kind of see into other people's minds so yeah i'd absolutely recommend it so that is everything now for this episode Uh, again we would love for you to tweet hashtag world bipolar day hashtag bipolar strong to share this episode and we hope you tune back in on 
Wednesday, where we're joined by Danny, who has a podcast where he talks to people about their screwed up moments. So difficult periods in their life and and how they've got through them. And we talk about psychosis and medication again in this episode from one of the episodes that he relates. So we hope you join us for that. And um, as always, you can join us on Facebook in our Facebook group, the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Community, or you can say hi to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Psyche Coaching, and that's Psyche P-S-Y-K-H-E, coaching, all one word. Hope you have a great week and, well, a great couple of days because we'll be back on Wednesday. Take care. Bye.